what I want to talk to you tonight about is the power of God. So we've been in a series over the past few weeks called House of Miracles. And in this series, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. House of Miracles is both actual and aspirational. What I mean by that is, by show of hands, how many of you have either witnessed or experienced, and no like no shame whatsoever if your hand doesn't go up, but uh, you've either witnessed or you've experienced a miracle. Okay. So I say it's actual because there were a fair number of hands that went up that said that I've either witnessed or I've experienced a miracle. How many of you are still holding out for and hoping for miracles to manifest? And that's why I say aspirational, because although we have seen miracles take place in our lives, the work's not done yet. There's still a lot of things that, that we're hoping for and we're believing for, both in our personal lives and maybe in our friends or our family, or at least in our church as well. Uh, so we've called this House of Miracles. There is a mandate, I believe, that the Lord gives the church, um, and that is to walk in power. Part of our vision as a church is to is that our church has a reputation for the miraculous. Now, when you hear that, it could elicit a few different responses in different people. One may be excitement. You hear that, our church has a reputation for the miraculous, and that stirs something up on the inside of you. Uh, For others, it may make you a little uneasy. Others, you may not have been listening, and so you have no response. Uh, We're talking about the people watching online later, okay? Not you guys. Uh, I'm kidding. We love y'all. But we want to be known, and we want to have a reputation for the miraculous, because Jesus did. That's why. Jesus had a reputation for the miraculous, and so should his church. Jesus is the model. He is the one that we are to imitate. Jesus walked not only in character, but he also walked in power. We were predestined before the world began to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That includes the character, but it also includes the power. So think of uh, like a, I want to start off by looking at four elements to a a job well done. Um, Before we do that, Jesus, Jesus modeled how to walk in power. 
And then at the end of his time on earth, he looks at his disciples and he commissions them to go and do the same. Um, you, you see Jesus after the resurrection and he's commissioning. Uh, he tells in Mark chapter 16, he tells them, go and proclaim the gospel into all the earth. And then he says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. In my name, they'll pick up snakes or drink poisonous things and it won't harm them. Don't, don't, I, I encourage you not to go try that. That would be foolish. Um, but he also says they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Jesus gives us this commission to go and continue the work that he initiated. Jesus came not only to destroy the works of the devil, but Jesus came to reveal the glory of God. Jesus didn't come to save us from the Father. He came to reveal the Father. And then, after all of this, he looks at his disciples and he tells them to go and do the same. And he gives this assignment. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, whenever something becomes an assignment, I take it, much, like it, I take it with a different approach than I do things that I do recreationally or I do for fun. Okay, there are a lot of things I like to do for fun. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to climb tall stuff. I like long walks on the beach and shopping with my wife at Target. <laughs> Two of those are not true. Uh, I just don't like, yeah, I, I won't go there. I'll give you a hint. I agree with Hayden Christensen. I don't like sand, okay? I, I'm not a sand person. My wife is a beach person. I'm not. It's one of the major struggles that we go through in our marriage. Um, no, but whenever, whenever something goes from just being something that you do recreationally to it becoming an assignment, something in me changes. Uh, there's a, not necessarily like, there's not a dread, although sometimes when you get an assignment, it's not always met with glee. But, but there, there comes this seriousness about it. Um, because I, I know that if I don't get out and, uh, and do whatever I like to do for fun, at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. If I don't do my job, that's not okay. I think a lo- one of the issues that we see in the church is that we have a lot of recreational Christians. Where following Jesus is just kind of a recreational thing. Uh, when it's convenient, when it's fun, when the weather's nice. Uh, yeah, sorry. Just put, putting aside a lot of jokes. Um, But Jesus doesn't give us 
a hobby. He gives us a commission. He gives us an assignment. Now, like, like assignments that you receive in work uh, or your job or whatever, there are certain pieces, certain elements that create a job well done. And I want to throw those up there. First one, assignment. The assignment has to come from someone who has the authority to give the assignment. So it doesn't work out all that great whenever, you know, someone who is either your peer or a subordinate comes to you and says, hey, I think we should go ahead and close these accounts. And you're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's close those accounts. And then your boss comes and says, hey, why did our portfolio cut in half? Uh, you, you don't really have a leg to stand on there. Um, because the assignment has to come from somebody who has the authority to give the assignment. Maybe you run your business like you. You get to be that person. Uh, but the assignment has to come from the person who has the authority to give it. The next thing is authority. There's a difference, or I want to at least make a distinction here between authority and power. So authority is the permission to do something. Power is the ability to do something. If I were preaching or rapping, I would say that authority is the right and power is the might. Okay? But I'm not preaching necessarily and I'm not rapping. Unlike Pastor Terry, who in the first session of, of House of Miracles, do you remember he rapped a little bit and then did some dance moves? If you didn't see that, it's worth going and finding on YouTube where it will be till the end of time. Uh, so anyway, uh, authority can be thought about in the sense of you have the permission to do something. Because you can have permission to do something, but not the ability to do something. So that's a, a term that you could apply to that would be incompetence. Whenever you have the permission and it's actually on you to do it, but you don't have the ability. Have you ever been in those spots before when you're in over your head and you've got to learn real quick how to do something? Or you can also be in situations where you have the ability to do something, but you don't have the permission to do it. And whenever you find yourself in that situation, that's where people start getting hurt. Uh, that's where body bags start lining up behind you. So that's also not a good scenario. And it can also be really frustrating whenever you have been tasked with an assignment, but you don't have the authority. Have you ever been in a job where that's the case, where you're being held accountable to something that you don't really have the authority to make decisions that affect how you're held accountable? If anyone on our staff raises their hand, I'm assuming that you're talking about like a former employer or something like that. Uh, that's the story I'm going to tell myself. But if any of, and then the fourth thing is, is equipment. You've got to have the right tools for the job. Because it can also be incredibly frustrating whenever you set out to do a job. Even if you have, you know, you have the assignment, you have the authority, you have the power, so you have permission and the ability, but you don't have the right tools for the job, that can also be uh, a recipe for frustration. So ideally, 
all of these things are present for a job well done. So when Jesus gives the great commission, when he tells us to go into all the world, when he tells us to proclaim the good news, make disciples of all nations, he gives us an assignment. But that's not all. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, he starts out the great commission with this. He said, all authority has been given to me. So go. The person who has the authority issues the assignment. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go. And in that, he delegates authority. The, the great commission, Mark chapter 16, it says, he said, go into all the world proclaiming the gospel, and these are the signs that will accompany those who believe in my name. They will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. In my name, they'll cast out demons. In my name. The authority that Jesus has, he's delegated to those who follow him. So you have the permission. You have the authority by Jesus. And then you also he also gives the power. And then he also gives you the equipment, the tools for the job. But what's interesting is after he gives the in the great commission after Jesus gives the assignment and he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go. He says, but don't start on the job, don't get to work until you have received power from on high. So he tells them, here's the assignment, here's the job, but don't get started yet until you've received power. And once you receive power, there will be this equipping that comes as well through gifts, gifts of the Spirit. Uh, through the, the fivefold ministry, whose job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's interesting here that he gives the assignment, but then he tells them to wait until they've received power. What would have happened if the disciples just went ahead and went for it? Would they have had some measure of effectiveness? Probably some. There probably would have been some who took them at their their word. But they would not have been able to step into the fullness of what God was calling them to do until they were clothed with power, as Luke said. This is where sadly a lot of the church resides is I've been born again. I have this assignment. And so I'm just going to go to work from here without the power from on high. Is there, is there success? Is there fruit from it? Yes. But I believe that regardless of whatever assignment the Lord has for you, in order to walk in the fullness of it, in order to do a job well done, it requires power.
in Luke's account, Jesus said, he phrased it like this, he said, but stay in the city, this is Luke chapter 24, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. By this time, the disciples had already uh, received the Spirit on the inside of them. Uh, In John chapter 20, Jesus says this. He said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is on the inside of them at this point. But he said, wait, even though you have the spirit on the inside of you, wait until you've been clothed with power, until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I've heard it said like this. The spirit is in me for my sake, but he's on me for yours. The Spirit is on the inside of you for your sake, working within you righteousness and making you righteous and truly holy and making you a new creation, this new birth. That is what the Spirit is doing on the inside of you. But the Spirit upon you is not for your sake. The Spirit upon you is for the sake of others. This power, you're being empowered to serve is what's happening. The Spirit's coming upon you for the benefit and the sake of others. And Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Again, a continuation of Jesus saying, the things that I came to this earth to do, to destroy the works of the devil and to reveal the glory of God, to reveal the nature of the Father, now I'm sending you. And this had to happen, this, what what we read in John, where Jesus said, he breathed on them, and uh, I'll fill in some gaps here. The reason why that's that's the new birth is because it, it mirrors, and it's a callback to creation. Whenever God birthed man, he breathed life into him. Okay, so here's what's happening, is Jesus has, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't give you all that information, but at this point, Jesus has resurrected, uh, he's been resurrected, he hasn't ascended yet, and he's with his disciples, and he breathes on them. Again, a call back to creation, and this new life is happening on the inside of them, and he's saying, receive the Holy Spirit. And this had to happen. They had to become new. Their nature had to be changed before they received power. Because power doesn't change you. It reveals you. Power doesn't change you. It reveals you. Which is why they had to be made new from the inside out before they were clothed with power from on high. Remember, Jesus didn't come to save us from the Father. He came to reveal the Father. The power of God reveals the character of God. 
So anytime you're, you're seeing something or experiencing something and you wonder whether or not it's the power of God, is it revealing the character of God? Amen. The power of God always reveals the character of God. So when Jesus starts his ministry, Matthew chapter four, it says that he went around proclaiming the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus exclusively did. I mean, it was the, it was the number one topic of discussion for him was the kingdom of God. That's what he was proclaiming. He went around teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing everyone who was sick and afflicted. And then it goes on to say in the next verse, and his fame spread. Why? Because it wasn't just words, but there was a substance that validated his message. In Matthew chapter 16, in the Great Commission, after it goes through that list, says that the, the disciples went around doing the same thing, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and these signs and wonders followed them, and it said that it confirmed their message. Amen. That the signs and the wonders and the miracles actually confirmed the message. And they still should. I love, I love all of the different ways that as a church we can serve our cities and meet tangible needs. And there are so many who do that so well. And I think we should continue to increase our our borders on that, continue helping people find shelter and food and all of these basic needs. Because Jesus did that too. And in Matthew 25, that's how he separates the sheep and the goats. Is, uh, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me drink? When I was in prison, did you visit me? And so on. That's hugely important. But there's also something that God calls us, the church, to do and serve our city in a way that no one else can. There's no other entity besides the church of Jesus that can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I love and support all of our medical professionals. Um, I love and support the, those who work with mental illness and counsel. But there's also the mandate that Jesus gives us to see those who are afflicted, those who are bound, be set free. Amen. There are certain ways that we are called to serve the city or the cities that we're in that no one else can. Amen. And we cannot do that in and of our own strength, in and of, in and of our own power. But we must be clothed with power from on high. Amen. We have to. So power doesn't change you, it reveals you. That's why there's a D.L. Moody quote. He said, um, he, he said, if, if you have a man who works at a railroad and he's stealing nuts and bolts and you send him off to college in hopes that, uh, that that'll fix him, once educated, he'll steal the whole railroad. Why? Because power doesn't change you, it reveals you. So if you think, uh, so 
be quick to, before you, you judge people who are in power, because what if everything that you wanted, you were able to get immediately? Maybe, maybe you are pure as the wind-driven snow. And I'm sure you are, because you go to church here. Uh, but it's not always the case. Some, I think some of the hesitancy with people when it comes to walking in power is because they've seen the abuses of it. Uh, you've seen abuse of power, or you've seen uh, forgeries of God's power. Uh, I've heard someone say, uh, you know, they, the only thing, only when something is valuable is it worth the effort of making a forgery. So when it comes to the power of God, sure, there may be instances of forgery out there, but it's because it's valuable. Another thing, I think, is because there is uh, a stark contrast between man's power and God's power. And so whenever the only thing that we've seen is how man's power works, power in general, we don't want anything to do with. Um, There's a huge difference between man's power and God's power. Man's power elevates self. God's power elevates others. Man's power puffs one up. And it, it encourages you to try to force, every, use your power to force everyone else around you down so that you can be elevated. God's power holds its hands out, lends a helping hand, and helps others get up. God's power kneels down beside the person who can't walk and is lame and is the social outcast and doesn't care about any of that and speaks to the situation so that that, not only can that person walk, but that that person's uh, personhood and status totally be changed. That's what God's power does. Man's power... uh, Man's power creates slaves. God's power creates servants. If you want to be great, Jesus said, then become a servant. If you want to know what real power looks like, it looks like serving. Whereas everyone else in the world, they use their power to enslave one another, you're going to use the power that I give you to serve one another. Man's power is all about bringing about its own will. God's power is all about bringing his will. His will be done, not ours. Man's power is the opposite of weakness. Whereas God's power is made perfect in weakness. Look at these two quotes that are uh, just so opposite of one another that it, it's great. So the first one is from Frederick Nietzsche. You don't need to know too much about him, 
uh, anyway, very influential philosopher. And he said this, what is good? All that student, a sense of human power, the will to power, power itself. What is wrong? Anything that comes from weakness. What is happiness? The feeling that power is growing and that resistance is overcome. For Nietzsche, he saw the the need for the the utmost need for people is power, uh, not pleasure, not meaning, but for him, the driving force of men was to attain power, the will to power. So, in his terms, what's good? Anything that brings about power. What's bad? Anything that has to do with weakness. Contrast this to Jesus' words. Talking to Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul's dealing with the thorn in his flesh and he asks God to take it away three times and Jesus says this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Man's power seeks to avoid weakness at, at any cost. But my power, it's totally different. My power is actually made perfect in, in weakness. And so the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You may find yourself in situations in which you've seen God do mighty things, you've seen him do miraculous things, and then you hit a wall and you feel stuck. And you're looking around and you're saying, God, I've seen you do this for this person. I've seen you do this in my life. But here I am in this mess, this situation. So where's this power now, God? Like, why am I here in this place? And the same person who, uh, the same person who said that one, like I baptize you in water, but one is coming, he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. The same person who said, behold, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist, found himself in that same place. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison. And remember, this is the same person who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, He's the one who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and fire. The same person is now in prison and he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask this question. Matthew chapter 11 said, verses two and three. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word to his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Man, are you the one that I thought you were? Like I thought you were the Messiah. Are you the one or do I need to start looking for another? Because I know what the Messiah is supposed to do. 
and I'm stuck here in this jail. And he, the, it has to be that the words of Isaiah 61 are what's coming to mind for him. Isaiah 61, prophecy about the Messiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. John the Baptist knows this prophecy because it was his life's calling to prepare the way for the Messiah. And yet here he is stuck in a prison. The Messiah is the one who's supposed to open the prison doors to those who are bound. Yet here he is. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one? Have you ever felt like that or been in those kind of situations where you see what Jesus is doing in other people's lives and you look at where you're at and you're like, man, do I need to look for another way, Jesus? And this is what Jesus said. He answered with this, go and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the leper is cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. And when you look at that list and you're you're looking at it and all of these mighty, powerful, miraculous acts, and it ends with, uh, it ends with the dead are raised up, and that's powerful. And then the next statement is, and the poor have good news preached to them. It's kind of like, okay, like that's, that's cool. But what Jesus is doing, the last statement that he, he makes, the last miraculous act that he says to John, the poor have good news preached to them, is the first line in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So go and tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers cleansed, the dead are raised up, the deaf hear, and the good news has been preached to the poor. There's a similar question that the disciples ask in Acts chapter 1. So the scene here is Jesus has been raised from the dead and has been ascended, or he, he has not yet ascended, he's about to. And the disciples ask him this question. They said, this is uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because we've been told our whole life about what the Messiah would do and what it would look like. 
So Jesus is now the time where you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. When you are going, because the, the Jews were living in, under Roman oppression. They were in a foreign occupation, like, they, yeah, foreigners had occupied their, their homes, their place. And they're saying, Jesus, we are oppressed here. So is now the time, is now, like, this is what we've been waiting for, for you to set all of us free. Very similar question to what John the Baptist was asking. And this was Jesus' response. For it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Before the cross, Jesus' response was, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. After the cross, Jesus' response to this similar question is, the Spirit of the Lord will be upon you. Jesus, with everything that we see going on around us, what are you going to do? With the fatherlessness that we're seeing in our country, what are you going to do? With the dangerous ideologies that we see invading our country, Jesus, what are you going to do? In the sickness that I'm experiencing in my own body or in the bodies of those that I love, Jesus, what are you going to do? Is now the time. And Jesus says, I am going to place my spirit upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's his response. Is an empowered church. So with all of the madness and craziness that we see around us, what is Jesus' response? A powerful church. We have to walk. We have to be clothed with the power of the Spirit. Because regardless of what your assignment looks like, you cannot step into it fully. You cannot completely fulfill it without the power of God. Because God never calls anyone to do something that they could have done without him. The, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just so that you can get on a stage and preach. The filling of the Holy Spirit is also so that you can raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The filling of the Spirit is so that you can also be, uh, be the, the grandmother or the grandfather that you're called to be so that you can be the friend that you're meant to be, so that you can, when you encounter the works of the enemy at the store, you can bring freedom and healing to them. The filling of the Spirit is not just for the spectacular, but it's for the ordinary, everyday moments. You know, sometimes we try to uh, we're like Jesus when it comes to 
my afterlife, like that's all you. You know, I, I'm trusting in you for that. But when it comes to figuring out how to solve this problem at work or how to walk through this with my teenager, I, like I've got to figure that out on my own. The power of God is also so that you can uh, walk through the teenage years with your children. Because you need that. That I, there are businessmen and women that I've talked with and that I've witnessed where they'll encounter issues at work, whether it's with plumbing or electricity or whatever, and they'll hit a wall and they'll ask the Lord to help them with their job. God, here is this complicated issue. I don't know what to do, but I need you. The Holy Spirit is upon you so that you can also figure out complex problems. It's not just for the spectacular, the in front of a lot of people, whatever. It, it includes that, but it's not exclusive to it. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, came upon this group of believers. The effects were, they were filled with boldness to speak the truth regardless of the cost. Signs and wonders followed them. And it says in Acts 2.42 that they committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And so do we.